Advent is the season when we celebrate the fantastic story of uh, Jesus' birth and his coming. And the, the church has historically celebrated four Sundays of Advent, and we're going to do so this year at Gateway. So today is week one of Advent, and I have asked Ken and Bijou if they would read our scripture for us this morning. So Bijou is going to read from the Old Testament. So Bijou? I'm going to be reading in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, and Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah 9, 6-7. For to us a child is born, to us a child is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and uploading it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So part of the New Testament story of Jesus' birth includes Joseph hearing about the awkward circumstances, the incredible circumstances, the unbelievable circumstances of Mary's pregnancy, and he's dismayed and unsettled, and he has a dream. You know, the incredible thing about our God is he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he still speaks in similar ways. So, Ken, you and I spent some time together this week, and you told me about a dream that was impactful in your life. So give us a brief synopsis of that. All right, so just as Pastor Ed said, we spent a wonderful week together of Bible study with a couple of other men, and in the middle of our discussions in terms of understanding how God really touches us through his word and encourages us and strengthens us, I recalled a situation that I went through in 2009 after losing my father. My father was in the Congo. Uh, as you all know, I'm from the Congo. I haven't seen my father since 1998. I came to the state as I was 19 and went to college, came to the D.C. area for work, and I uh, was planning to go visit him, but just the opportunity never came up. I saw my father in 2007 as I traveled back to the Congo to, to Mary Bijou, who was living in France at the time, but never really spent time with him. And my father has been ill throughout that whole period, but he always downplayed it over the phone. But it wasn't until when I saw him in 2007 that I realized how physically weak he was and so forth. So coming back to the States, I was hoping to get him to come over here for medical checkup and spend time with him uh, since I haven't really seen him since 1998. But long story short, in 2009, he passes away. I was finalizing his trip to come over. So that made it even more difficult. I was so upset that night when I got the news. At the time, we didn't have any kids. It was just Bijou and myself. I remember getting so upset that I even broke my laptop and, and stormed out of the apartment just to, to clear my head. I went to bed that night not thinking much. I was just upset at God for not answering my prayers, basically, which were to spend time with my father. And to me, that was a righteous prayer. It was something that, that was reasonable to ask. But that very same night, I had a dream. However I'm going to describe it, I'm not going to do justice to that dream because uh, I'm 
describing it as, as best as I can recall, but basically I was surrounded by a, an environment of a cloudish environment. It, there was a bright light and there was a lot of stars. And for the first time in my life, I never had a dream as clear as that one, where I heard a voice telling me that I am your father. Basically, God was reminding me that ultimately he is our father. He was my father. That no matter how much painful that experience was to lose my biological father, especially having not spent time with him in my adult life since I came to the state when I was 19 and he, in 1998, and he passed away. I was in my early 30s. God was in a very clear way reminding me that he was my father and that no matter what the circumstances were, that was the relationship that I had with him. Hmm. Um, moving forward, that has been something that I fall back on to encourage myself when I go through difficult situations, but also to encourage others. Ken, why don't you uh, read now about another brother of ours who had a dream at one point that redirected his life. So, this is in Matthew chapter 1. The verses are 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we break open this story, I pray that you would break open our hearts. We admit this morning that some of us have gotten lost in the busyness of Thanksgiving and family, work as we move toward the end of the year, closing up accounts, kids' activities. So this morning we pause. In a sense, Lord, today I feel pregnant like Mary by your spirit. Okay, well, not like Mary, but sense your presence. I also pray today, Lord, especially for those of us who bring particular burdens. I pray that you would break through. Father, that you would father us the way you fathered Ken, Jesus, that you would be our Savior. I also pray for any of us here who do not have a connection with you. This story is... <laughs> 
unbelievable unless you open our minds and hearts. And I pray that you would do that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So my wife Diane and I had a a bit of a struggle uh, getting pregnant. We tried for a while and she miscarried. And and we actually didn't know she was pregnant when she miscarried. And then tried for a while longer. I, I came home one day in the middle of the day and Diane was downstairs. And those of you who have been with us know that before we moved to Northern Virginia, Diane and I lived in the Boston area. And uh, we lived in an old home in Boston, and we had one of those basements in our home that, you know, it was like your grandmother's basement. There were probably dead bodies in this basement. We literally did not visit every corner of this basement. We were too scared to. But we had to go in the basement because the washer and dryer was in the basement. So I come in the house, hey, Di, she's not there. I figure she must be in the basement. Open the door. I creep downstairs into the basement because it's scary if Diane's not down there and she's braver than I am. She is down there. I get down there and she tells me we're pregnant. It was an unbelievable moment. Some of you have experienced that moment. I really wanted to be a father. I knew that Diane would be the best mother in the history of the planet. And for me, it was just utter joy. Some of you have not had the privilege of knowing that moment. Some of you chose not to have that moment, but for Diane and I, it was an incredible joy. I imagine it was the same for Mary and Joseph. Incredible joy. But I'm certain that theirs was a joy that was tempered by the fantastic circumstances surrounding this birth. I mean, just the logistics alone were difficult. Another town away from family and friends, inadequate accommodations. This was a complicated birth. But of course, more than that, there were these strange, utterly unique, bizarre, historic happenings surrounding the event for Mary and for Joseph. There were dreams. There were angelic visitations. There were unexplainable physical circumstances. We'll get to all of that in coming weeks. Certainly, this was all amazing and joy-inducing on the one hand, but it must have also been very, very unnerving and unsettling on the other hand. Imagine this morning, if you would, just that incredible joy, but also what? Uh, Imagine if someone came to you this morning and said, I want to give you $1,000. Wow, thank you, I'm sure would be your response, and you'd be amazed and joyed. If someone came to you because this room is full of people, and I'm serious, because this room is full of people who are sharp, Generally speaking, you have your lives together. You know how to handle these kind of things. If someone came to you this morning and said, I'd like to give you $100,000, I'll bet you would say, okay, thank you, wow. But if somebody came to you this morning and said, I want to give you $15 billion, what would you do with that? I know your first response is yes, but think about it. You'd have to hire security. The press would want to know about this. People you never even heard of would come out of the woodwork claiming to be your family. This would be incredible, but it would also be overwhelming. It would be unsettled. What do you even do with $15 billion? How would you handle that? I imagine it was similar for for Mary and Joseph. The incredible circumstances surrounding this event. How do Mary and Joseph explain all of this? To themselves. 
how can I even begin to think about explaining this to family and friends? And what does all of this mean? What? Not surprisingly, we hear the back and forth between the overwhelming confusion and the incredible joy in Mary's responses. Her, her first response, recorded for us in Luke chapter 2, verse 34, was something like this. What? How is this going to happen? I'm a virgin. And you can hear the confusion, perhaps even the dismay in this. But she also felt incredible wonder. In Luke chapter 1, Luke records for us a song that Mary wrote. Listen to the opening stanza. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Now just think about the fact that we have a written record of this song still today. Mary must have written this and shared it with others over the years, people she was especially close to, no doubt, as part of her sharing of this whole story. So we're beginning a series today of four messages about Jesus and about his birth. So during the four weeks of Advent, we're going to be talking about the birth of Jesus. We're going to be talking honestly about the confusion and the dismay, and that sounds about right. If this is a real story, by the way, covering real events that actually happened, that's exactly what we would have expected these people to feel, and I'm convinced that they did, but also incredible wonder and joy. And this year, we're going to take an honest look at the birth of Jesus. How did it happen? And what does it mean? And at certain points, I'm warning you, we're going to get a little bit geeky. We're going to talk about the believability of it. We're going to even look a little bit at the texts that relay this story. And we're going to look some at the doubts that people have had about it over the centuries. And we're going to talk about whether or not it's legitimate. And throughout it all, we're going to be asking, what does it mean for us and for our world? But today, we're going to start with a kind of slow launch and we're going to begin at an odd place for a series of talking about the birth of Jesus. We're going to begin at the end. We're going to go to the very end of his life and look at an incredible incident after Jesus has died and he's resurrected. We're going to look at an encounter he had with two people who were evidently you know, faithful followers of his. We don't hear anything about these people later, but one of them was well enough known in the community to have been named. And we're going to look at an incident where Jesus appears to these two guys, and he's going to say something, well, a series of things, unbelievably profound to them, and then we're going to look at their reaction, and that is going to, for us, become kind of a model for what it means to react to this story. So I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 24 this morning, but I'm going to be looking at Luke chapter 24, and it's a long text. So Stay where you are, and I'm going to have a stand in a, a minute. We're going to go old school out of God's word, but don't do that yet. I'm going to start with Luke 24, verse 13. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as, as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, 
Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem and you do not know the things that have happened there in these days? How are you so clueless? Were you there? Did you not see what happened? What things? Jesus asked, baiting them, of course. Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Look, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Remember, we heard him speak several times back in Galilee, got to Jerusalem. He was there. His followers were there. It was pretty amazing. The chief priests then and our rulers, ultimately, they handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We were heartstruck and undone, but we hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they didn't see. Okay, now Jesus dives in. So let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word. He said to them, (laughs) how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And check this. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, hey, stay with us, for it's, it's nearly evening. The day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They completely changed their plans. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. You may be seated. All right, here is the, if you miss everything else, don't miss this point of the day. This is the point. The don't miss this point is this is the point. First of all, this is the point of all of God's activity. This is the point of all of God's activity. The Old Testament is full of illusions and hints and outright bold predictions that point to Jesus, to his birth, his life, even his death. Some of these predictions are incredibly specific. For example, in Micah 5, there's a reference to a great ruler who will come, who's going to save Israel out of Bethlehem, the place where Jesus coincidentally was born. In, in fact, in Matthew's chapters 1 and 2 alone, there are four Old Testament references to these hints, these Old Testament hints and allusions. All of God's activity points to this. This is the point. This is the point. Perhaps even the abundance of anthropomorphisms in the Old Testament. Anthropomorphism is when you humanize something. Even the abundance of anthropomorphisms in the Old Testament are probably hints that something like a God-man Messiah was coming. 
right? God has arms. God has a voice. God has legs. God stands. He sits. He's angry. He's compassionate. Maybe these were just attempts of the faithful God-fearers to understand God, or maybe this was God himself allowing the idea that he would one day squeeze himself into human skin. And here in Luke 24, Jesus himself traces the entire Old Testament catalog, beginning with Moses, and demonstrates to Cleopas and his friend how all of it points to him. All of God's activity points to this. This event, this next month, what we celebrate, yay, Christmas, this is the point. All of God's activity points to this. Secondly, this is the point in that everything within us points to this. Everything within us points to this. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. For every one of us, God has placed something more, something bigger, something larger than just this. It's the thing to which our lives point. We were made for more than this. And something in our hearts, something in the deepest part of ourselves knows it. That's why we're here, by the way. I wonder if Jesus recognized Joseph's voice after he was born. Many times Joseph bent over the belly of Mary and said, hey, buddy, can't wait for you to get here. So many incredible things have happened surrounding your coming. Buddy, we can't wait to see what you become. So when Jesus was born... And Joseph leaned over the edge of the manger and said, hey, buddy, did Jesus turn his head in recognition? They say that often happens with newborns. Some of you have told me stories like that. I was actually looking forward to that. So when Jordan was born, I got near to Jordan and said, hey, buddy. And Jordan's response was what it's been for the last 30 years. (laughs) No recognition whatsoever. But let's assume that Jesus is smarter than Jordan. (laughs) And maybe, in fact, there was some recognition, but I have. I have seen that recognition many times in you. I've seen that recognition many times in people over the years when they've heard Christ's voice, when they've really heard it for the first time. Everything within us points to this. I've seen that look of recognition And you, Tom Bellino, I've seen that look of recognition in you, Jan. Rob, I've been with you many times when we've had that look of recognition. I remember hearing stories of the first time you had that look of recognition when Jesus said, hey, buddy, and we said, what? I recognize that voice because everything within us points to this. Pascal was a French philosopher who wrote a a defense of Christianity in the 1600s. He famously said this. Some of you know this. He was making an argument from our personal need, the neediness that we have in our lives, the, the loneliness, the longing for something more. Pascal says this, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? 
This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help. Since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. Everything within us points to this. This is the point. Verse 32 of Luke 24, Cleopas and his friend noted, weren't our hearts burning within us when he was talking? Didn't something within you come alive? Because this is the point. And everything within us points to this. I also want to say this is the point in that it requires everything of us in response. This point, this event, this story, this life, this person requires everything of us in response. Did you notice how long it took Cleopas and his friend to recognize Jesus? I think this is a metaphor for all of Jesus' earthly encounters and his encounters with us. The kind of encounters he's still having today, right? They heard him speaking Who knows how long, but he was going on and on about the entire Old Testament. They were listening. They were gathering information, but they weren't really getting it. They were hearing, but they weren't fully understanding. They weren't seeing. And then Luke tells us their eyes were open and they recognized him. There was a similar moment of full recognition for many of us. There was the time when you really understood that this was the point. And when this happens, it changes everything. Let's read again the end of this story. Don't snooze on this. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Remember, they just left. But this changed their plans. This changes everything. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And the two told what had happened on the way to them and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This changes everything. May I say, I'm sure that there are some here today who have never fully gotten it. I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm not talking about knowing the information. I'm talking about having your eyes open. I'm talking about hearing that voice that you recognize. Say, hey, buddy, I've been waiting a long time. I've been working on you. You've heard, you've gathered facts, maybe you don't disagree, but you've never really recognized. You've never really understood. Your eyes have never been opened. You may have been around church for the last 20 years, off and on. You may have left church 13 years ago and stumbled back in today, but your eyes have never really been opened. Listen, this story does not require that you be a good churchgoer. The story does not require of you or me that you or I be a good person or a good citizen. This story requires that you be all in. Everything is required of us. We have to understand with our minds. We have to recognize, holy smokes, I believe this story. We have to embrace with our hearts. And we have to step in with our wills. We have to say, yes, this is the point. And everything about the Christmas story proves it. All right. I don't want to take long. Let's wrap up. If this is the point, what is this? What are we talking about? We're going to spend the next few weeks unpacking that a little bit, but let's give the high-level summary. If this is the point, what is this? 
Well, Jesus, of course. This event, this happening, this, theologians call this the incarnation, the enfleshment, the God becoming man. This is the point. Jesus is the point. Jesus is God with us. Jesus is God coming into the world. Incredibly, Jesus is God entering into our suffering and suffering for us. Jesus is God absorbing all that separates us from himself and overcoming it. Jesus is God working on our behalf. Jesus is the satisfaction of our deepest longings. Jesus is the point. Look, over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about why it had to be this way. Why did God squeeze himself into human skin? We're going to talk about the nature of the Trinity. I know. We're not going to be able to completely explain it, but we're going to give some definition and some color to it. We're going to look honestly and critically at the virgin birth. Could it actually be true? Is it even remotely believable? And through this discussion, we're going to have to be honest and acknowledge that much of this is mysterious and it was completely unexpected. But today, I've prayed that we could wrap our heads around the truth, the startling truth, that this is the point. It always has been the point. This is what it all points to from before the event and after the event. And our lives cannot be rightly aligned unless they point toward the point. Our lives cannot be rightly aligned unless they point toward the point. I was at a conference for pastors years ago, and I heard by way of personal confession, and I'll apply it to all of us, I heard a pastor stand up and speak to a group of pastors, told a joke that uh, some of you may have heard before. This reminds me of one of those uh, jokes that's told every other week in some Baptist church in the South, but this guy stands up and says he went to a Sunday school classroom, and there were a bunch of little children there, and little Timmy was there, and Pastor Ed came in to talk to the kids, and on the front wall of the children's classroom, there was a picture of Jesus, and Pastor Ed comes in and does his talk that afternoon. They're on their way home. Mom looks in the back seat, and she says, little Timmy, do you know who Pastor Ed is? And little Timmy says, yes, isn't he the one today that blocked Jesus? So I want you all to know, if I ever do anything that blocks Jesus, I'm really sorry, because this is the point. And the same goes for you, in your relationship with your neighbors, and in your interactions with your children, and in your relationships with your workmates. If you ever do anything that blocks Jesus, let's confess that, because Jesus is the point. Some of you know that I am not only an American football fan, I'm also a fan of the New England Patriots. Keep your cheers down. And one of the things that I love about the Patriots, if you're a football fan, you will know this, that there is a Patriot way. They just don't ever say anything to the press about anything. They don't ever communicate anything. They don't give anything away. Now, sometimes the approach is a little stilted and sometimes it's a little boring, but it's, it's what they do, and they're really good at it. Just a few weeks ago, their tight end is one of the best tight ends in the history of football. is a guy named Rob Gronkowski, and Gronkowski was doing an interview, and there was some kind of joke going on between Gronkowski and the quarterback, Tom Brady. 
and the press had gotten wind of it, and they were trying to ask Gronkowski about what was going on between he and Tom Brady. And Gronkowski, Gronkowski is a huge human being. He's really just like a, I don't know, what is he, Jordan, like 6'7 or 6'6 and big. But he's also a nine-year-old kid. So he has this Cheshire cat, goofy grin on his face, and, well, I'm not supposed to talk about it, but actually, I better not talk about it, but I sure do want to talk about it, but I'm not going to talk about it. So he doesn't say a word about it because that's not the Patriot way. And while the Patriot way can be a little bit stilted at times and a little bit boring, they follow the Patriot way, those who play for the Patriots. Number one, because they're probably afraid of Coach Belichick. Number two, because if you follow the Patriot way, you have a chance of winning the Super Bowl. Sorry, but it's true. If our lives point toward the point, we win the Super Bowl. There are times when it's tough. There are times when it's difficult. There are times when we don't get it, but if our lives are not aligned with the point, then we miss the point of us. We miss the point of who we are. We were made for this, and everything in us points to this. All of God's activity points to this. This is the point, and everything within us is required in response to this, the point. And all God's people said, I don't know if you were amening little Timmy or the Patriots or what God has said today, but whatever it is, I'll take it. Let's pray. So Jesus, we acknowledge this morning that you are the point, the point of everything that God has done the point toward which our lives point. And today, we bend our knee before that, knowing that everything is required of us in response to the point. Lord, hear us today. In the strong name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Okay, stand with us if you would. We're going to end with a song as we prepare our hearts for a last song. I want you to know, if there is someone here today who for the first time you have heard that voice in a recognizable way. For the first time today, your heart has been stirred. You've heard, hey buddy, I've been waiting on this. I've been waiting on you. There are gonna be some people down front here who will pray with you. And I encourage you, don't miss that. Don't miss that opportunity. Don't miss that opportunity to step in with mind, heart, and will to step in. There may be someone else this morning who feels burdened. For someone who hasn't stepped in, but they're important to you, and their life is not aligned with the point, I want to encourage you to come and get somebody to pray with you about that person or those people this morning. And there will be people here who will do that. But for all of us, this morning as a final act of Sunday morning, first Sunday of Advent. Today, we acknowledge together, you're the point. Let's sing a song. Son of God. Son of God, shaper of the stars. You know, the Bible tells us that the universe was created through him. You alone, dweller of my heart, because there is, you've heard the phrase, 
God-shaped vacuum. That's based on Pascal's argument, by the way. There's something within all of us that only he can fill. So this morning, choir, let's sing this one like we mean it. Son of God. Jesus.
thank you for coming squeezing in the human skin and help us during this time of advent as we celebrate that you came to the earth remember that we're also celebrating and longing for the time that you're coming again help us to look forward to that help us to remember that daily that we're not just praising a God who was here we're praising a God who is here heavenly, righteous. Holy name we pray. Amen. We're so glad that everybody came today. We pray that you have a great week and we pray that we can share the love of Jesus to everyone we see. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.